Matt Hardigree, uh, Jalopnik, and then all these other things now for Gizmodo. Gizmodo. Mm-hmm. If you could describe this dinner with racers in one word, what would it be? A mistake. Fair enough. And now for Dinner with Racers, presented by Continental Tire. With your hosts, Ryan Eversley and Sean Heckman. Placeholder Radio. Welcome to Dinner with Racers. Skirt, skirt. I'm your host, Ryan Eversley, alongside the other host, Sean Heckman. Other host. Skirt, skirt. And we, we just got done with this crazy road trip. We're actually on our way to LAX right now to drop me off so I can finally go home after being trapped in Sean's basement for the last six years, it seems like. I'm surprised you got the chains off. And uh, we, <laughs> along our 12,000-mile journey in our what kind of car? Oh, the Honda Odyssey. That's right. And what were the uh, tires? Continental then? tires. Oh, the cross-continent LX20s. And so we ended up, uh, you know, 29 states, 12,000 miles, 6 million calories at least. Easily. And type 2 diabetes. Yep. And we found ourselves in New York City on a Friday afternoon, mad rush to get there. I end up having to run three blocks to get a get a box of pizza and a chicken sandwich, and a chicken sandwich. And, and and make it back to the headquarters for Jalopnik, which is in Manhattan. So we interviewed Matt Hardigree. Uh, now Jalopnik was a keen place we wanted to go to and interview Matt, who's uh, become kind of an instrumental part of, of uh all of that group, but especially Jalopnik. Um, Jalopnik, uh, for those who don't know, uh, is more of a car culture website than it is specifically motorsports. If, that's actually why we wanted to talk to them. If you know who we are and you don't know who Jalopnik is, yeah, like right. this is not happening. <laughs> um, we want So Jalopnik, I believe, has a very unique take on kind of the car culture. They've obviously done Agreed. a great job of captivating the car culture. Yeah. And uh, if there's one thing that motorsports is struggling with, it's that conversion of the, the young car culture being converted over to motorsports and so i thought uh with with the way jalopnik is able to gauge uh, readers we'd be able to sort of get their their take on it and right. believe it or not the jalopnik uh readership count yeah, within the motorsports realm is probably higher than any of the other motorsport outlets yeah pretty crazy when you think about it considering that's not even like the specialty so we sat down with matt we had a cool couple of conversations while he, while he had the free time for us uh, one of which i really enjoyed was the uh, celebrity encounter we talk about how he lied his way into his job and we also kind of wrap it up with uh, what he would do to help fix motorsports which i think is something we would both agree with yeah i thought he was pretty spot on so anyway matt hart agree take it away biff Shout out to Michael Balaban who couldn't be there, but I love your beard. Meow. All right, we're going to start in five, four, three, two. So, like, it doesn't matter. You would have ended up here yeah, at either this way, time, we're gonna get no matter stuck. what. <laughs> exactly. So, he'll be here in a minute, but uh, no so rush. you're already tanked. I tanked is a, a overstatement. I've had a couple of beers. A couple of beers. So okay. I'm like very lightly buzzed. Okay. It's more the emotional feeling. Like sure. I'm like, a, you know, like I've had a little bit to drink, but I'm like just mostly like I'm very excited for my friend and like sure. a little sad that they well, won't work with me anymore. It's been a trying time for the company as a whole, but uh, you've had a long time, like three and a half years kind of partner in the company. To I've been here for nine years and this person's been here for about three and a half right. years. Yeah. So you, you wake up, you come into the office and there's an email saying, I'm quitting. Yeah. Nice. And so... Off to the bar you went. 
Yeah, which is reasonable. Uh, the funny thing is there used to be a bar that we called Fantastico, and I don't know why we call it Fantastico because it was not the name of the bar. Right. But anyone time, anytime anything went down, people would just say Fantastico, and it was just like – And you just knew. You just knew to go yeah. to the specific bar, and the bar was actually not a bar. It was a Chinese restaurant, but it had a small bar in front of it. Okay. And so with very little – like it was a very narrow bar, and so we would go to Fantastico. Right. And it was probably like, like I, one of those small places that sort of became yours on an occasion. It, like exactly. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and like we had like such a period of bad news for like a year. Right. Because unbeknownst to us. For, like the last, for the last 18 months or something. Right. Yeah. About yeah, 18 yeah. months. And But we didn't know for like a year. We didn't know at this point that there was like a billionaire trying to destroy us. So all yeah. of these bad things would happen. And it was like this sort of like joke. Not like we were like Joe. Not like we were perfect. Right. But like this sort of Jobian thing where you're like. Well, this week, another crazy thing happened. <laughs> and so um, we would just go there. And I felt bad because we, we our offices were in Soho. Yeah. And so this place was like around the corner. So we would just go. So if like we were walking by, you would think it was like the most popular restaurant in New York because it would be like this 500 people. Like hipsters standing outside like, of it. Yeah, 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 outside, inside, like it was packed. And then you would like look back into the actual restaurant itself and there would be like three people. <laughs> and they would, and we would go through like, right. a, like you know, I'm I, like, I, I would guess I didn't. You know, it wasn't on my corporate card usually, but like sure. you know, like two or three or four thousand dollars at a at a time, and, right? And in you know, ting taos and like you know, shots, right? Because very rarely did anyone actually order food, right? And so I was like, I, I was worried that this place, the people <laughs> thought that, that this was like a sustainable business, <laughs> and so they were like, hey, this is we got a great thing going, let's order fifty cases right. of beer, and right. then one day we moved offices up here uh, into Union Square, right, 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 and they're just sitting on all of this beer, and right. they're like, no one is showing up, right, right, right. What happened, right? Um, and because our misfortune was their good fortune, right, exactly, for like yeah, a yeah. year <laughs> and a half, <laughs> drown your sorrows here. So no, I understand. All right, well let's let's get into that actually. So um, you know we're here because you're you're with Jalopnik. Obviously, Jalopnik is sort of a new player in the motorsports and automotive industry on a relative scale. Uh, but uh, and, and so for what we're doing, we wanted to get to get to. I mean, you've obviously been a big proponent of all the kind of stuff we do. But but it's been a trying time for for Jalopnik as you're part of we're part of Gawker. We were um, part of Gawker Media. Right. Now we're part of what is called Gizmodo Media Gizmodo, Group, which, which is bought out by Univision. Which is bought out by Univision. Right. Um, so we're part of uh, a, a much larger media company, which is good. And I think honestly, a lot of this was inevitable. Like inevitably, yeah. Gawker Media was going to become part of a larger media company, sort sure. of private equity. Sure. Like it was. Um, I, I think that what a lot of people who don't work in the internet like world realizes that you know with Facebook and social and all of this, like it's not like you can just like one day decide, hey, I'm going to start a new media company and it's right. going to be widely successful. Like there were people who got in early enough, and early right. enough is you know the early to mid 2000s maybe into the early right in sort of the, the blog business so to speak right yeah. and they got in and they created a, a brand that was large enough and had a following that was large enough that right. when facebook and other social media came in to sort of like dictate who was able to read what and right how people... and started creating a forum to post links for these exact kind yeah of exactly right, like they, right. they were in early enough that they could exist so like if you try to yeah. start a media company now you have to ex you have to somehow gain traction in this world that has largely been established. And so, it's already, yeah, exactly. It's already saturated. Exactly. So, and so yeah. Gawker Media's properties are big in their spaces. Kotaku's big in video. If you like video games, you read Kotaku. Right. There's, so there's Kotaku. Deadspin for Deadspin. sports. Jezebel for women's issues and politics. Um, and we have uh, Lifehacker for productivity. Like if you look for like, how do I do something on the internet? Like right. how do I do this in a computer? Right. Like you're going to get a Lifehacker article. Like it's right. just because it's been doing it for you know, right. 10 years. Uh, and so we, uh, and of course, obviously Gizmodo for tech. And right. so we, we, you know, you, you have this existing thing. So, you know, it was inevitable that someone was going to realize that like, rather than try to 
build a new enterprise and spend an insane amount of money. Someone's right. already done the work of building right. an enterprise. So buy it out. Uh, ours was accelerated by a lawsuit and by a billionaire who tried to destroy us. And so, uh, you know, there was a, you know, we went bankrupt. We, we didn't go bankrupt because we lost money. We were actually profitable, but it was right. like bankruptcy was the easiest way to deal with this, sure. like, these sure. weird legal problems. Right. Uh, and so, and, and Nick who owned the company before, like very, you know, consciously tried, you know, to said like, we need to, end up in a place where the people who work here and the brands themselves can like exist and right. be safe. Right. Uh, and the best way to do that is a sale. So we went to the bankruptcy court, uh, Univision who had been, you know, reportedly interested in buying us before bought us out. I think they got a great deal for the company. Um, and I think that it, it's exciting. Like Univision itself realizes that they work for a, you know, their, their brand is, you know, largely a Hispanic audience, but they realize that, you know, even, you know, the, the Hispanic audience, you know, Latino American audience uh, wants stuff in English and right. that's not what their brand is. And so right. they've created with Fusion their own brand and they with a comp with buying the onion or parts of part of the onion and buying the root and a few other brands and right. specifically Gizmodo Media. They're saying, hey, you know, we're going to have a a multicultural, largely urban for the moment, millennial, right. you know, younger urban audience. Like, how do we meet that? And they right. got Gawker Media, which is now Gizmodo Media, which serves that audience. And right. so it. You know, it makes a lot of sense for them, right. uh, and it makes sense for us. It makes sense for the brand. So, like, it's it's a good place to end up in light of like some, a literal existential yeah, threat exactly. where someone was trying to destroy us. Like, well, so let's get into that a little bit. So, so you know, again, we're more here to get to know who you are, but uh, but just sort of set the stage for for those who don't entirely know. You know, we're we're dealing with racing people, so maybe they've heard of the Hulk Hogan lawsuit. Maybe they know a little bit about how that relates to Gawker and what what's gone on. But there's a whole backstory that that we'll get into here. So, basically, uh, Gawker, which is sort of the parent group to, to Jalopnik, uh, posted a, an article that featured a, a clip of a sex tape uh, on who we would know as Hulk Hogan, um, filed a lawsuit on career damages and all kinds of stuff. And after months and months and months and months, uh, basically a, a decision was held, was upheld to pay, what was it, $140 million? Yeah, it was $140 million on $100 million to ask. Uh, obviously, that's being appealed. Of I course. mean, the, the backstory here is that... Uh, I, I I like people who don't know anything about this. I like you should just like like search on Google what the original story is. Right, right. Because essentially AJ Delario, who's who's being um, pursued uh, by the courts uh, or by like the specific person, wrote an article uh, about a Hulk Hogan who had sex with the with the wife of some a guy wife, who was a swingers couple like of a thing. of a like a shock Old like friend. a shock jock yeah. in Florida. The, the um, love sponge. Bubba the love sponge. Bubba the love sponge. Which is a thing I didn't know existed. Yep. And now know a lot about. Extreme uh, shock jock. Ex one of those. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, one of those yeah. guys. Um, and the post itself is funny because it like basically what the post is saying is someone sent us a sex tape. Like here's an extraordinarily short clip of it. It's only six seconds, I think, of actual sex. Right. Um, but it's it's, it's a like grainy security camera footage. How do we buzz Ryan? And I just got a text. Oh, uh, hold on a second. Okay. He can just buzz <laughs> the front door and he'll. Yeah, that's what I think what he's trying to do. Um. Oh, he made it. All right. All right, so much for that. Welcome. I will take pizza from anywhere, by the way. Yeah, no, I ran like halfway down the street. <laughs> <laughs> There's Pizza Paradise around the corner, which Pizza Paradise is great because the the pizza itself there is okay. It's fine. Right, right. Um, like like most New York pizza is actually pretty good. Right. But there's a little Persian restaurant inside of it, and the Persian restaurant inside of the pizza place is amazing. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like a very New York thing. But yeah, that's that's exclusively to what you guys do. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so um, all right, so so where we were, he prints this article. Not he posts this article. Yeah. So so there was an article posted, and it was essentially 
sex tapes are boring. Like, I think that people forget if you go back in time, there were sex tapes posted like every week somebody had a sex tape. Yeah, exactly. And Sean's it, got three. Yeah, yeah Sean's and got three. No, and, and I've been waiting for someone to download it, but no <laughs> one's interested. So uh, It's hard. The market was saturated with sex tapes. And the post was essentially like media commentary. It was like sex tapes have become boring. And if you want further proof that like the sex lives of celebrities that you care about are not interesting, like Hulk Hogan for all his posturing about on Howard Stern River about being like a great lover, like it's just like not interesting. And so like it was just a post about like Seen it was literally it. the headline of the post was like don't watch this tape because it's like it's just super it's boring monotonous. and disappointing and none of this is like interesting. Um, little did we know that there was a billionaire who we had covered who had started a bunch of hedge funds and we'd written about. Right. And there's a guy who who's supporting Donald Trump who believes that uh, the democracy in America got worse when right. women got so the right to vote. This is Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel. Um, who believe, who's like obsessed with the blood of teenagers. Like right. all this weird <laughs> stuff. Uh, harvesting the so blood if of yeah, teenagers. If you, if you, if you, we, were, we were looking up on him. So yeah, basically, so, so, so I'm not worried about getting sued. Um, yeah, so. and there's all this stuff. And, and so like, and then, and then, but he was like secretly financing. So like we were, um, we were basically in a position where, um, you know, in uh, media companies get sued all the time. New York Times, Washington right. Post, any media company you think of gets sued. Right. Um, if there is merit to it or it's too much of a nuisance, you got to close that door, right? Oh, uh, sorry, that's my bad. If you. if there's if there's um, merit to it or or it's just too much of a nuisance, they settle. Right. And like this happens all the time. Every I want to say like I would say every week, if not every day, right. like these things are getting settled. Well, so normally an article like that, you would assume he's just out for some settlement money or he gets yeah. whatever, and and that would be the end of it. But where you discovered that, that maybe somebody behind – there was somebody behind the curtain, so to speak, on this whole thing. Yeah. Was some of the aggressive, aggressive action they took when, when doing the filing. Like trying they, – they specifically got our insurance company out of it, which in most of these cases the insurance company pays for those yeah. insurance. Well, you, normally you things. want the insurance company in because then you get paid. Exactly. Right. Uh, so all this stuff happened, and you know uh, uh, there was a talk and, and some people who were like, hey, I think like, – and it sounds crazy to say. I will say this after going through this experience – the you would think the worst thing is thinking that there's a conspiracy to destroy you. Right. The worst thing is not thinking there's a just an it, like a, a conspiracy to destroy you. The worst thing is having it confirmed. And right. It turns and it out happening. the person is a very well connected billionaire. <laughs> right. Right. And he can outspend you and outspend you yeah. until it basically ends. Um. So. And so like the appeals courts will ultimately decide this, and this will get worked out. Um, right. But the happy ending is that like for most people, is that a very conscionable, thoughtful company bought. Gawker Media and now right. it's Gizmodo Media and while Gawker is dead and that is like you know, Gawker who's like the, the flagship site started is dead. the whole thing sure. yes it's gone um, which is like troubling and sad and a, a sign right. that like certain people in this country have more power than they should right um, at the very least you know most of the good work and, and everyone who worked at that site you know they're at different sites doing good work reporting on you know whether it's you know Facebook adjusting their algorithm um, or uh, you know in you know, the issues with Tesla and self-driving that Jalopnik's reporting right. or Deadspin with the NFL's response to domestic violence. Like, you know, right. the good work that was being done that, that I think was, you know, like it was a large company that posted, you know, 300 articles a day or whatever. Right. Like there were good articles, there were terrible articles and there was a lot in between. Right. Um, and the the best of that company continues on, which exactly. is nice. Which is, which is a good way to go. Um, it kind of, when I was reading all the, all the stories behind what Peter Thiel and everybody sort of behind the scenes was, was trying to do. It brought up an interesting question that I thought about because he's allegedly a supporter of some free press organizations. I don't know what's bullshit, what's not, but it, it brought up a, what I think might be a conflict between kind of modern journalism and, and more what would consider traditional journalism uh, where 
you know, Gawker is sort of the, the big namer or the, the big innovator in the very headline-grabbing linkable articles that you can read, correct? You know, Check this out. Well, you won't believe what this car is doing or whatever versus something on a on a L.A. Times or, you know, Wall Street Journal or whatever may not be so aggressive in their titling and their way of pursuing articles. I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm saying that that traditional journalists or sort of older school press may resent a little bit of that. And I kind of wonder, is he part of that guard that's, that's terrified of what you guys are doing? Yeah, I mean, I think you think this is something separate, which is that there's a whole class of Silicon Valley media yeah. that exists to just say all technology is good, all new things are good. If a country, company gets a $3 billion valuation, because you have to understand, that, like Silicon Valley, there are companies there that are transformative and do amazing things right. and whose value is, if anything, underestimated in their ability sure. to like transform society. Sure. Um, and then there are companies like... And, and, and like you know, Apple or, or even Uber, like, you know, you look at these companies or Tesla in some ways, like they do amazing things and, and like you, it's very worthy of recognition. But Theranos is like a good example of uh, Theranos being the company that said that they were able to like do all these amazing tests off a drop of blood. And the reality turns out that they weren't able to do any of it. And this, this woman goes from being the most valuable woman in the world worth billions of dollars worth nothing because it turns out that they were selling a lie because the idea of what they could do was far greater than the reality of what they could do. Sure. And the Silicon Valley press ultimately existed to like pump up this to idea of... This. Sure. Yeah, and, and we see this all the time. And you like, feel like you guys kind of exist to go, bullshit. <laughs> yeah, to call. Yeah. And sometimes you know we're wrong and sometimes right. we're right. But at right. least to be able to say, as a corrective, to say, we are going to be at least minimally skeptical of this. And this is where sure. the roots of Jalopnik come from. Right. Because you had all of this automotive media in the early 2000s. I mean, let's not forget that the M Motor Trend gave the Thunderbird Coupe as a supercharged vehicle, or as a turbocharged vehicle, the car of the year. Right. And then a year later, two years later, gave the turbocharged version of that same car, the car right. of the year. Right. And neither of those cars, in retrospect, are worthy. Yeah. Car, like, I will say this as someone who owned AmeriCorps XR4TI. AmeriCorps XR4TI was named, that I bought from Rutledge, uh, <laughs> was named, which is a whole other funny story, was named car, of, was an, a top 10 best by car and driver. Yeah. And I love that car very much, but in almost any year, it should not be a top no. ten car. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and and so you have this like world where it's just exists off press releases yeah. and exists yeah. off like this churn, um, and embargoes exist, and there's like very friendly handshaking between uh, automakers and the automotive press who rely exclusively on them almost in, in WeatherTech um, for advertising. Uh, WeatherTech's great. No disrespect to WeatherTech, but like, oh, well, you know, we don't give it. <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, obviously you guys don't, but like, you know, yeah. whatever, like people put money in. Uh, and Jalopnik came across about to basically say, you know, without access, because Jalopnik initially did not have access, right. without any kind of special favors from the automotive industry, like, right. let's report on things, not as people pretend them to be, but right. as they actually are. So you saw a space to basically have zero commercial interest in talking about what you want to talk about. Exactly. It was right. just like, you know, we will point out that this car is bullshit. Right. We will point out that like there's a like a marketing hype around something that doesn't matter, right. or isn't significant. Right. And um, we will, for instance, like a you know, great example, like a, I don't think any like Chris Harris, who now is on Top Gear and is yeah. famous yeah. and is somewhat yeah. untouchable, had an article about how Ferrari would like blatantly juke their press cars uh -huh. to give them more power. Yeah. And right. like if you were saying like, Oh, I'm gonna go to you know, Silverstone, and I'm going to drive a 458 and a 911 GT3 RS 
or then it would have been a four five eight, you know, like a three sixty, whatever. Right. Sure. Four thirty. Um, and uh, they would go, okay, fine, we'll we'll bring you a car in three weeks, and they would take the car. Smartly, like, you know, I'm not, not a knock. Like, I'm actually kind of impressed. They would take a car then to, this is like a hypothetical example, take their car then to Silverstone, <laughs> like, dial it in for that track, make sure all the tires, make sure everything's right. 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 And then the, their press car with four <laughs> engineers would show up right. uh, and, and somehow perform with 40 extra horsepower and somehow right. perform, of course, perform better. And so Chris Harris, being Chris, being like an extremely smart and conscionable person, realized this and said, well, this is kind of bullshit. Let me write about this. Yeah. No one would publish that article. Right. right. Everyone refused. So he it. wrote this. Wrote this freelance. Yeah, he wrote a okay. piece that was like, "Here's the reality of what's happening." Right. Right. No one would print it. Yeah. Jalopnik, having like no relationship with Ferrari, anyways, was just like, "Well, screw it. This is true. Yeah. Let's print yeah. a true thing." Right. Um. And uh, they did. And to this day, Jalopnik has had one Ferrari press car for one day and it was a California team. and actually I will say the people who run Ferrari now seem to be fairly chill right, and like right, you right, know right. Um, but for like four years longer than out. Chris Harris even we were right. on the blacklist but that's worth it like yeah. someone's got to call them on their bullshit if no one will it like it's the easy like people think like like I don't want to pretend that like Jalopnik is like awesome and everyone is tough or whatever sure, it's right. like sure. people who worked for Jalopnik had initially had like no access to the world they weren't important no one cared about so you had nothing them. to lose there was nothing to lose right. and the only advantage is if everyone if car driver motor trend road and track automobile car if everyone was going to tow the company line and not step out then the only way to compete with them with all of their money and all of their resources right. was just to step out and just to say the things like, right. like not as like we are principal journalists, but merely as this is our only competitive advantage we could possibly have yeah, yeah. Right. being a bunch of dorky kids who right. love cars right. and love racing and love all this stuff was just to say, screw it. If this doesn't work out, I will just go back to my job at a bank or something. Right. Like, right. And that, and that was it. I actually don't know why you're talking to me. I'm the least person, important person you've ever spoken with. Because this is a story that I don't even know the answer to. Like, I don't know how Matt Hardigree became the Jalopnik guy. I have no idea. And I talk to you all the time. So if I don't know, I imagine our listeners might not know. Right. And, and so it's and important for us to not just cover race car drivers. Like, we've sat, we were talking about this on the drive here. We have more media people this year than yeah. actual drivers. Because we have, we have ex-drivers that are now commentary or media. But the thought was, like, oh, shit, we don't. We don't have that many drivers this year, but we want the story. We want to talk about the things that come well, out and, of that. Well, and so. Jalopnik has really, I would say, in the last seven years, kind of forced its way into the automotive and motorsport space in a way that, that really didn't exist before that. And so you've kind of built your own niche, and, and obviously Ryan and I love that. Uh, and I would say the majority of people who are listening to podcasts are aware of that, but some may not be. But I don't think anybody really knows the story. Okay, well let's let's go way back. <laughs> uh, Our kids gather around. Right. Yeah, uh, and, and instead of listening to this, go back to listen to Tommy Kendall because Tommy Kendall's hilarious. He is the man. We <laughs> he love is. I remember. Listening. I'm shocked you've actually listened to these. By the way, well, the first uh, thing I said when he said when he walked, he's like that level five episode. The level five thing <laughs> is the best thing I've ever heard. Yeah, we literally were sitting there like, oh, we're done. As he was telling, it, yeah, we were just looking at each other like, oh, shit, we're done now. Yeah, yeah, we're out. Uh, so Jalopnik, so Gawker Media was like, like early on, it was just Gizmodo, which is like a tech site. Yeah. Right. Uh, Wonkette, which was a political site, and then Gawker itself, right. which was like sort of media gossip. Uh, and then there was like a little bit of money there, and all of a sudden Nick Denton, who founded the company, was like, hey, let's do something else. And he took Mike Spinelli aside, and they went, and I think it was him and maybe Lockhart Steele, who's another like old media guy, uh, old new media guy, and they were like, they, they like got, they had got a few bottles of wine and maybe some food, and they uh, like had a whiteboard, and they were trying to like write down what should be the. And they wrote, wrote down a bunch of words, okay. like Beatnik and Jalami ends up there, and 
they had to try to explain to Nick why Motorhead could not be the name of the website. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to come into a problem yeah. with that. He <laughs> didn't know who Lemmy was. He could not, like, <laughs> they could not explain, like, Motorhead would be a great name for a website, right. but Fantastic. It, it, it exists. It's, it's a thing. It's busy. Right, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so they liked Jalopy, they liked Beatnik, and they combined the two. Uh, and so Jalopnik was formed. Uh, Mike Spinelli, who's amazing and, and is obviously on his, he's got a great drive show and is over at the drive and does awesome stuff. Um, he, uh, he was just like, okay, well, let's start talking about cars on the internet. And yeah. It was like very normal, and there wasn't anything ex- like exciting about it. And then he went to his first car show. And the weird thing about car shows is back in the day, there, there was this embargo system. And the embargo system said that basically every car magazine would abide by not releasing information about new cars until a certain date. Okay. This is what, 2005, 2006? Yeah, this, this is uh, yeah 2006, mostly. And so... Mike Spinelli would go to like auto shows where there would be cars on the floor that people were not allowed to write about to a certain date. But because no one knew who Mike Spinelli was or what Jalopnik was, right. he was free from these embargoes <laughs> to write about sure. them. Yeah. And so, and this, this a little, I would say also Mike Levine, who's now like a PR guy at Ford, who, who ran originally pickuptrucks.com, was in the same situation mm-hmm. where they would just write about these things that were literally in front of them. Yeah. Right, right. And it destroyed the automotive industry. Absolutely. The PR industry, like the PR and the, the news industry, they had no idea how to deal with this because they didn't, they had never, they hadn't, like they couldn't comprehend the idea. Of telling a guy, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that someone could just put something on the internet right. and then it would be news then. Uh, and so this like blew up the world and caused this whole cascading effect of, you know, people trying to abide by embargoes and people getting information, and it totally screwed up the whole very friendly, like, back-padding industry that yeah. existed between automotive media who wanted to keep getting money from automakers and wanted mm-hmm. to keep getting invited on drives and wanted to be friendly. And getting uh, test cars and all and that. Getting right? test cars and all that, and automakers who wanted to keep giving them what they had and were making tons of money even if their products were, like, like even more inferior than they were the year before, like, and losing to the Japanese. Like, there's this very friendly world that existed. Yeah. So... In 2007, I was working for what was then the commercial mortgage-backed securities market. And if you've seen the big short, yeah. yep. you know what the residential yep. mortgage-backed securities market was okay. like. Yeah. The commercial mortgage-backed, commercial mortgage-backed securities market was very similar to that. Um, it was not quite as shady as the RMBS, which is residential world. Um, it did not cause the economic collapse in 2008. However, when the economic collapse in 2008 happened, it was like the last like the last domino to fall right it was like everything else had fallen well this is also kind of a house of cards and it fell so i was working in that market and i knew at the time that it was gonna all like i like i was not a genius you had to but see it, right. you could just like any any moron and i was a moron i could tell like this is not a long-term thing yeah so jalopnik on their like 200 person facebook page had posted <laughs> now it's like three or four hundred thousand <laughs> They had posted, hey, we need a professional, we need, a, we need an intern for the Chicago Auto Show, and I was living in Chicago at the time, someone with a DSLR camera to shoot for us, because Jalopnik then was like four people, it was like Davey, uh, so it was like Davey Johnson, who's a car driver now, Johnny Lieberman, who's at Motor Trend, um, Morley Martin, who's also a T-Tac and kind of car and driver a yeah. little bit, uh, Ray Wirt, who's now at General Motors, right. or he's like, he's got his own private thing, but he's like, he's worked for General Motors, yeah. uh, he's a Chevy guy, um, and Mike Spinelli, who's now for the drive. And so, like, they were too cheap to pay for a photographer. Um, so right. I, I applied, and I lied. I didn't even have a digital camera. I was like, sure, I'll do it. Right. And they were like, great, we'll get you a press pass. And so I had to ask my girlfriend at the time, who's not my wife, but I asked my girlfriend to borrow her, I want to say, two megapixel yeah. Yeah. digital right. Kodak camera. Perfect. So, like, I get on the train. It's miserable. Auto shows be, like, completely abolished. But, like, having one in Chicago – 
late February, early March is like cruel yeah. beyond belief. <laughs> and so like I go down there and I show up with my camera and Ray Wirt takes one look at it and he's like, what the hell is this? Oh, he's there. He was there. Yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. what uh-huh. is this? And I'm like, it's my digital camera. And it's like, you said you had a DSLR. And I'm like, well, technically when I emailed back, I said I have a digital camera. Yeah, a digital camera was my response. Yeah. yeah I said, right. I have a digital camera. And he's <laughs> right. like, you mu-. He's like, this is worse than the camera that we have. <laughs> and I was like, but I can write. And so he was like, well, we got you a press pass, I guess. And so I went to like my first press conference ever and I covered the the. Ford 500 was being renamed the Ford Taurus because Ooh. Mark Fields right. had realized <laughs> smartly that no one knew what a 500 was, right. but like Taurus had like 96% like brand recognition. And so they, um, like I, I worked for them and I covered this press conference. I, I wrote for two days and they were like, okay, you're not a moron and you're cheap. <laughs> we will pay you to write like like a couple articles a week. <laughs> right. <coughs> so I wrote for them for a while. I'd wanted to get into politics in Chicago for some terrible reason. <laughs> I got into it. I quit Jalopnik. Stupid move. I quit Jalopnik. Hmm. Went full-time working for a political firm. Spent every day reading Jalopnik and, like, hating my life for right. doing it. I mean, I liked where I worked. I liked the people, but I just, like, right. missed the car world. What were you doing at the firm? Uh, I was, so it was a political uh, communications firm. So okay. I, was, I was the managing director. Like, it was a small firm, so yeah. they, they, needed, they needed help. So I was doing... You know, support, lobbying, support. Is there support any money in that, campaigns. by the way? Yeah, Sean's been talking about this. I want to start doing political videos because I have no bottom. <laughs> like, I think this is a business I need to get into. There's a ton of money. There's a guy named <laughs> who does amazing car videos. And you've probably seen his his work because he's done right. car videos for everyone. A company called <laughs> Studios. Sure. He did all the original bleep that out. VR <laughs> stuff, right? right. He, bleep it out, please. <laughs> he did all the VR stuff for Autoblog initially for, like, AOL Autos. Cool. Um, his real moneymaker is he works with a guy, another guy who loves cars, like a huge car guy out of Nebraska named Casey Phillips. And the, his company does every even-numbered year like six months of nothing but political ads. And they make – and you get bonuses if you win. And yes. so they made – and they worked, they worked for like the worst kind of like conservative – Dude, that's you. But who cares? You like, you know, <laughs> and I've, I've worked for, I worked in politics. I worked mostly for Democrats. I want to do tobacco and big oil lobbying. Just that's my interest. Right. Take their money. Right. Yeah, like, that's what I'm saying. This is what, this is what I'm saying. I want this business. So and, anyway, so I want, how and, do I get into this? And they take it. Just, just draft on Doug. Like people need podcasts for conservatives. And like, okay. it's just so. <laughs> yes. Dinner with conservatives. Dinner with conservatives. Dinner, Dinner with big oil. <laughs> Why not? Uh, somebody has to front for these people, and it sure. was just—it's just so much money. Right. Um, but I worked in like very, like I worked for like the Illinois Midwifery Association, <laughs> okay. Midwest High School. Yes. People who had no money but good causes. Right. Um, so you're a guy with heart. I was a guy with heart. Yeah, so that I didn't, doesn't work. I was not successful. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, and I, and and then the Cars.com, which is based in Chicago, yeah. and very nice people work there, uh, had an opening for an associate editor, and I was thinking of applying. So I went back to Ray Wirt, who was then. Uh, an associate editor at Jalopnik was about to become editor-in-chief. And I basically, I was like, hey, can you put in a good word for me? Because you know all those guys over at cars.com and I live in Chicago and like, you know, it's easy to go work for them. Somehow Ray misheard this as they have offered me a job. Oh, okay. And so he goes, what are they going to pay you? And I just made up a number. Right. <laughs> and I was you like, lie a does lot. He, does I lie yeah, all I the time. <laughs> and that's the best. You honestly, stayed in wait, when he misheard you, was it because you told him I have a job <laughs> offer at cars.com? No, okay. he's just like a crazy person. <laughs> and, and I just said, I just said, I just said, Hey, you know, there's this job over. I it could be fair. I was vague. I said, there's this job over at cars.com. Right. And before I could say, put in a good word for me, he says, what are they going to pay you? And so I gave him a number and he's like, and he's like, well, I can match it. And I said, 
And then just in my mind, I'm like, well, I'm just going to go with this. I'm like, well, but for associate editor. And he says, I'll make you associate editor. And I said, nice. okay. What's happening right, right. now? <laughs> and so I never applied for a job. They just gave me a job. So kids, <laughs> lying like a mother is the key. Yeah, just lie. Yeah. I, yeah. I, the funny thing is, is that when I tried to get my first IMSO license in like 2004, yeah. they asked me, I, I had raced Formula Mazda and SCCA. And I go in, and I'm like, yeah, I'm here to get an LMP2 license with like no experience. And they're like, uh, you race Formula, Ma- you race Star Mazda, right? Which is the Pro Series. And I was like, Yeah, I race Formula Mazda. She's like, Yeah, I thought so. Come on down. And like, <laughs> I had a license before my credit card cleared. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So I get it. Yeah. yeah, no. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I have think, a digital camera. I think the yeah. trick in in life is to, if you think that you can't do the job, don't lie, because then you're gonna get caught out and things right, are gonna go right, bad. Right. But if you know you can do the job, yeah. Yeah, yeah. if you know you can race, if you know you can write, just right. just lie and no one's going to care. I really like the phrase, fake it till you make it. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you believe in yourself and you're like, I, I know I can get this done. The ready, fire, yeah. aim. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so you come back on board then for the second time, but now it's like a real a real position, associate editor. Yeah, it's like a real position. We were still, I was still getting paid per post. It was yeah. awful. Okay. Like I paid $12 per post. So I had to write 12 posts a day and a feature a week <laughs> to have enough money to pay rent. Right. Yeah, because you're living in New York at this time. I was in Chicago. Oh, okay. okay. It's still so kind still, of expensive. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's not cheap. And so I had to – I mean, I just wrote – I went back to check because I was curious. <coughs> Sorry. I went back to check because I was curious. I have oh. written 10,500 posts. I'll say 12 posts a day. Like, you're just scrounging for sure. Yeah, at that, that point, point, you're just you, like, that's a story. Nonsense. <laughs> yeah. Oh, new wheels on the Seat Libra Coupe? Cool. That's a story. Yep. That's 300 words. And that was still happening for like a couple of years because, yeah. you know, the, the history of automotive media is like the way that you get paid. And so if you get, I mean, at least online, and if you get paid by page views and impressions, you write to just get anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and at this point, I assume, I assume Jalopnik wasn't really a money maker as much as sort of an investment potential. No, I mean, I'm sure it made money because it was okay. so cheap. But you were just trying to like get impressions. But then eventually, like auto, like people who advertise realized that like, well, you want unique visitors because someone could just read the same ad a million times. So when that shifted, which was like, you know, five years ago now, four years ago, then it became like, well, how do we do stories that people care about? How do we get scoops? How do we write things that people want to read? And that, like, fundamentally altered what Jalopnik was, as opposed to just, which was great. Like, the old Jalopnik is awesome of just, like, posting everything mm-hmm. and hoping something hits. Right. It's like, well, let's be efficient and let's, ho- like, like, let's post something that people might care about. And a good example of this is, like, Sam Smith, who's over at Road Track now, wrote an article about this crazy guy named Bill Coswell who took a Craigslist car, like yeah. a car he bought off, BMW bought off Craigslist, put a little bit of money into it is an insane person and went down to the rally Mexico because there was like a weird quirk in the rules and like anyone could kind of enter because they wanted people to enter uh, and like get, you know, third place, like a real FIA rally. I mean, the lowest class, but like a real actually, like actually podium in a real rally. Um, And that story, which I don't think anyone else would have thought to even tell did like, you know, like a, like a, at the time, like a million views. Right. Now it's like less so, but like a million people yeah, reading yeah, something yeah. is like, right. you know, if you think of what actual circulation is for a magazine and what people actually read, right. you know, read online or what people see on TV, like a million people reading something was like humongous, right. like yeah. earth shattering. Uh, and that, that article really set the tone for Jalopnik. We would do stupid stuff and we would still do funny stuff and we'd still write about stuff that really honestly no one cared about. But like right. the idea was, what are the stories that we can tell that no one else 
would think to tell or uh, you know like that would just like totally not fit into their like normal schema of like yeah, what yeah. is reportable these are the stories that are not akin to necessarily having to get into ford press car yeah, you're there yeah, because yeah. it's interesting and that's what you think is going to drive the viewership online media like online media like any online media gives into bad instincts because yeah. you can do something that will get readers but it's terrible <laughs> You can write. I mean, I will tell you huh? because I've read, <laughs> I've read all of the on like I, you know, and I wrote for so long. Like there yeah. were stories of like for a weird period, there were like all these stories you could find of like people having basically neurological, psychological breakdowns, and they would do crazy things with cars, like drive a car through the window of a Ferrari dealer. Oh, uh, sure. Right. Which isn't to say that it's not news. It's certainly newsworthy. Right. It's certainly completely reasonable to post, but. And people would love to read it, right? But just because it's newsworthy doesn't mean it's actually right. Interesting. You read so yeah, many yeah. of these, she drove yeah. her ex-husband's car to the lake, kind of thing. right. Like so, it right. gets boring. Right. Um, and so, but that was like in the page view era. But in the unique era, it was like, well, this is interesting. But like, what is the like the little and one? Like, what is the actual other thing that makes this something that right. I would want to read about? Um, and then usually in those cases, it's less like here's something that's scandalous, and it's like here's something that like reveals something about humanity. Like here's right. something that actually talks about. Like a good example is. Patrick George, who's now the editor in chief of Chalotnik, yeah. got pulled over in a cruise on a press drive, and he was like on getting on an on ramp onto a road in Central Virginia, in the middle of nowhere. And I used to live in Central Virginia, and it's all the middle of nowhere. And he was just like he was behind the group, and he was like, "Well, screw it, like I'm just gonna blast, you know, 100 miles an hour up an on ramp where no one's around, and if I get hurt, I only like you don't do this, kids, don't drive fast." <laughs> but like no one was around, and of course, what he didn't realize, and I knew living in Central Virginia, was that there are co wherever you think is the middle of the nowhere, that is exactly That's where a, a, a police yeah. officer is. Yeah. And so he got pulled over. Another reason I didn't drive fast when I lived in Virginia, even though I had like all sorts of press cards, was that if you drive 50 miles an hour over the speed limit, it is akin to animal cruelty. It's like hosting a dog fight. Oh, wow. It is oh, automatic wow. jail time. Wow. Ooh. So he went to jail for three days. Um, <laughs> but he called me after this happened. Because it's a it's a it's a highest not a felony but it's the highest level misdemeanor. Right. Um, it's a class three, and so he called me and he was like, Patrick was like, he was like very upset and he's very sad and he's like he's like you know if you fire me like I understand like I did something wrong, <laughs> and like conveniently I lived in Virginia so I was ex I was experienced with what Virginia yeah, police, right. like the laws were, and how arbitrary it was county to county with like in most counties they would just say like insufficient equipment like if it was your first offense they were right. just, it was like 50 dollar fine because yeah. i've been in the car where someone got pulled over that happened yeah and they just write it off and it's fine yeah i got yeah. pulled over in central virginia coming from vir okay and he let me go oh huh. yeah yeah yeah. So, yeah like yeah, if yeah. you're if you're in uh um like albemarle county you're probably okay right if you're in loudon county you're probably okay this was mecklenburg if you're in mecklenburg you, know, you actually probably got lucky oh, okay you know like honestly like and it depends but if, if you're in certain places um if you're if I mean, if you're east or west of there, like, you're screwed. And he was west of there. And so he got screwed. So I was just like, hey, man, as long as you write it up, we'll be okay. <laughs> and, you, and Patrick <laughs> wrote up his story. story. Right, yeah, no, right. and he wrote up his story of what it was like to be in prison for three days. Because yeah. he had to go for three for days. For an on-ramp, yeah. For driving up an on-ramp <laughs> yeah. too fast. And, like, he was in there with people who had, like, beaten their wives. Yeah, and, Like, yeah, done yeah. all these terrible things. And, I mean, uh, was it the full-on that was like a holding cell, or was he like no? He was in jail, like in the jumpsuit, doing yeah. He was fight he was the whole thing. He was, he was processed. processed in. Wow. And the the only break that he got from the judge was that he went in on a Friday night and got out on a Sunday, so it was three days. Okay. But it was like Friday night, right. all of Saturday, and then like half of Sunday. Yeah. Except when he was trying to get out, they lost it. Like somehow misplaced his paperwork, and he was almost stuck in there. And this is also oh, another wow. thing. Like, had he not been like a connected journalist with yeah. money and I yeah. hooked him up with a lawyer who I knew in the area like 
he could have he, he didn't have any resources. He could have been stuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for another week until they <laughs> right. found his paperwork. Right. Yeah. But he called in like his wife called in like a panic and yeah. like we were able to figure it out. Um, but like that's not a story for like Motor Trend. Like Motor Trend's like Dodge gave us money. Here's right. a story right. for a, a thing we put a Dodge <laughs> right. engine in a car. Yeah, Trim package. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, exactly. Uh, but it was like a story for Jalopnik. And yeah. um, the only problem we've had is now that Jalopnik's become this thing where like there's a ton of readers and like we're we can we're influential. Is like we've had to reckon with the fact that like we could be I don't want to say careless, but like the the stakes were lower when there aren't that many people reading you and you're just a bunch yeah. of kids writing about things. Yeah. And now that you have influence and like people read you and they do or do not buy cars or they have opinions about right. things that it like affects it. Like, like the reckoning has come where we've had to accept that we have some responsibility for what we write. Right. right. Um, uh, even before all this like crazy Hogan stuff, like it's just like we had to reckon with the fact that like we could get people fired or destroy people's careers or, or like in car. Like I had a person there's a person who, and we're cool now, but there's a person who blames me for the destruction of Fisker as a car company. Really? Yes. Congratulations. I destroyed I Fisker. Kind of power. <laughs> I mean, they're back. It's fine. Um, it's Carmel Automotive. But I was, yeah. I wrote a bunch of stories about their cars catching on fire. And it was one of those things where, like, I was partially lucky to get down in on this story early. Mm -hmm. And so when anyone had a tip in, like, it's their fault for their cars catching on fire. Right, right, if right, anyone right, had a right. tip, they would, like, let me know. And then it all ended where they had a bunch of cars in port in New Jersey, and then Sandy hit. Oh, right. And a bunch of their cars were in port, got waterlogged, yeah. and when these electric cars get waterlogged, Absolutely. they, they caught it. on fire. Right. But other cars caught on fire. Like, it was not just them. Yeah. Right. But it just so happened that, like, dozens of Fisker Karmas caught on fire. And I can't <laughs> tell because I can't burn my source. Right. But no one – I had a source who was there and provided me photos of this. And I like had the worst, like maybe the maybe second worst, second worst automotive like journalist phone call I ever had, where I called Fisker and I was like, "Hey, do you want to comment on all these cars burning down? Because they were importing them from like Finland, so well, it's not like they have like you're advertising that you're going to do something when you say that." Yeah, I mean, yeah. like I'm a reporter, like I'm like going to report the story. I'm not going to like bury a story. Right, right, right. And so, and like Sandy's like huge news, and and this is like a like a huge percentage of like the number of cars they have right. anywhere in the world, <laughs> and they're like, "We don't know what you're talking about." And I like I realized, oh, they have no idea that like a huge percentage of their inventory was destroyed. Call me back in an hour. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna know. And they called. They're just like, we have nothing to say. We have to like, someone has to go over there and confirm that this is true. But I knew it was true because I had photos. Like I had evidence. Like I had backed it up. Like, yeah. I called other people. Like I knew that it had happened. And I wrote the story. And then like, screw it out of business. And like, <laughs> <laughs> like it's like it's not. And it was just like a realization. Like on one hand, like I didn't. Burn the cars. You didn't like, do I, it. I, sure. did, I was accurately reporting on things that had happened. Yeah. On the other hand, Jalopnik accurately reporting on things that had happened in a way that was probably not true in years before. Right. Like had a significant like investors like right. the whole like because they had a huge amount of like silicon value like it had an impact like people who could potentially buy like it had an impact on the market and that was just like oh well what we say matters yeah and we need to be responsible for that we right. need to think about that and that was that led to like a big change in how we reported things and we still right. Want to be out the, in the out there in the edge? We still want to report things that we believe are true and we know right. are true. And even if automakers don't want us to publish that, but like we need to understand that like we can affect the market, we can affect lives, like yeah. billions yeah. of dollars. Like yeah. you have to you have to accept that fact, or else you know you're you're going to going make through. mistakes that aren't aren't worth making. You have to understand like if a company gets destroyed, like like you know jobs get lost, whatever. Because I know other people who've like said like you're the reason why I lost my job, like, right. and it's true, and they are not lying. Like that is what happened. <laughs> 
and you just accept like that. Like uh, the best quote I ever heard was a guy who used to work here who works at Slate now, and he said, "At its and this is after the Manti Teo thing where Deadspin pointed yeah. out that a, that a, a guy who was pretending to have like a dead girlfriend." Yeah. Had no, made it all real. up, and like right. all every media organization bought it because, like, I understand that, like, you're not gonna, like, well, let's get the death records to confirm this. Like, if a guy says, like, his girlfriend died, yeah, you leave it alone, you just right. like don't want to, like, prod. Yeah. Um, but Desmond was like, well, this we got admittedly, the story got crazier and crazier, right. and like at that point, there was you a point where, to. like, like reasonable journalists should have said, well, we should confirm any of this, right? And right. they didn't. And so Deadspin got the story. So there was a there was a like a sports journalism like website and like like magazine like wanted to talk to him about it. And the reporter like entirely was in this mode of like old school journalism and like how things were supposed to happen. And eventually Tommy it was Tommy Craggs over at Slate now who's an editor over here at Deadspin who's the editor in chief of Deadspin for a while was like look like at its core journalism is nothing more than professionalized rudeness. Like that's what it is. Like I like, I, that. Yeah. like I remember. Uh, when Coddington died, and Boyd Coddington died, yeah, right. and like this was like an early big story, and I had gotten a tip that he was dead from like a couple people, so like it was like reasonable enough to fall, and I had to like call his like family because right. like, it wasn't going to report it, just like oh hey right, someone's right, dead, right, like right. no you need to like make sure that's true, but you also have to call to make, but it's like a big story, it's like newsworthy, yeah, yeah. and like to call you have to call people who are going to be personally touched and affected by this, they and like yeah. and know them, and just yeah. go like hey like. This Sorry. is terrible, but would you confirm to me that this person that you care about is dead? Right. And that's like a rude thing to ask yeah. in a way, but yeah. it's also completely reasonable it's for you to do. Right. And like I remember they were like they were like like sad on the other end of the line. Like he was like crying in the yeah. background and they're yeah. like, Yeah. Like there's no we don't have a statement, but like yes, you are correct. Like a statement's gonna come. And so it was just like we reported on it. And this was like, oh god, maybe it was two thousand seven, maybe two thousand eight. Right. Um and I feel bad that I don't remember now, but like like he, he he's sure, dead. It um and like we were the first people to report on it, and that was like my biggest story for like two years. Um, but it was still like I didn't feel great. Sure. But, but it was people cared, and, and you know it was a thing. And right. like um, uh, uh, Boyd's wife has been awesome, and like you know we've gotten other stories, and we've written about things, and it was like no one, everyone understood like that's the job that of a reporter. Doing, yeah, sure, sure. Um, but it's uh, definitely a weird sure. thing. Yeah. It, especially in the current climate, do you guys <laughs> find yourself ever being a little more cautious, knowing the, the lawsuit? component of this this deal no one at gawker got sued for libel right right or no one got no one the the hulk hogan suit was not a libel suit right it was something else right until i am proven wrong and there are appellate courts to go through the laws that apply to journalistic entities are well established and right. they are libel laws right and I think that from the perspective of what libel is in America, and it's different in Britain, right? as Barney Ecclestone or Max Mosley will tell you, <laughs> yep. it's different in Britain. <laughs> yep, yep. In the United States, you have to know something is false, yep. and you have to be malicious. Like You have to know it's false, and you have to, to print something false, yep. knowingly false, in order to hurt someone. Exactly. Right? And that is a reasonable standard. Right. If I know something is not true, and I print it, and I do it to hurt someone, I should definitely be held liable yeah, for that. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um, and and it, I don't know any reasonable person who would say that that's not the case. Right. If I print something about a public figure, the other thing about this has to be a public figure. If I print oh, something I'm about, fully aware of public figure right. parody. It's so. on your website. Yeah. So if I write about somebody who's a public figure, correctly, within reasonable bounds. Yeah. Um, like, is it relevant what somebody's like daughter goes to daycare? No, I I don't think so. You know, I mean, you know, unless it's in a story, but I can't even think of an example. That's yeah, the case. Yeah, 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 but sure. if I write about something that's true about someone. Um, if you're a race car driver and you get a DUI, 
Yeah. And I write about that. Yeah. That's your, you know, like you. That is a reasonable thing to write about someone who's a race car yeah. driver, yeah, and it's reasonable to report that. Yeah. I'm not even going to name someone because they're like crazy. But like, if, <laughs> if racer Mick Racy gets in it, right. like you know, like that's a reasonable. If thing. you're a German BMW driver who that wasn't a DUI, put in a holding cell because you're pissing in a gas station <laughs> on a gas pump. on a gas pump. Yeah. Oh, you probably yeah, don't know about this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or or an Olympian. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like yeah, you know, like that's reasonable. Yeah. Uh, great journalistic work by Billy Bush. Um, like you know, you're uh, <laughs> like that's reasonable. Yeah. R.I.P. Um, Billy Bush. And so, like, I wonder I, if he'll be dead by this time. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, go on. Um, so, like, you know, I I, I don't want to be swayed by it, but it is scary. Yeah, like, yeah it of is course. definitely you can know it can happen, scary. Right. That someone like like even take the media thing out of it. That like a billionaire and someone did this to Mother Jones magazine too. Like a billionaire can like and Sheldon Adelson scene, but like but like right. like a billionaire can affect the news in a way by you know through concerted legal efforts. Right. Privately and uh, you know for a while just completely um, hidden. Well, that's like it's 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 terrifying. Yeah. And I know people whose lives are being personally destroyed right. by articles they wrote, and sure. that's that's scary. Well, and the scary thing about something like Peter Thiel, and I know this firsthand, is that um, something can be completely frivolous, but they can still tie up your assets in having to deal with it. You know, you, anyone can file a lawsuit, whether it's bullshit or not. Um, and so now you have to spend legal fees to try and fight it. You have to spend legal fees to try and say, no, this is erroneous. Let's get it thrown out. That still costs money, and that still is a drain on a small company. Absolutely, and, yeah. and, and it's been reported, and it's probably in the bankruptcy documents now. Like, Gawker was a profitable company right. and was then a profitable company, but for this, like, you know, the, the legal costs associated with this. But it was an independent media company. It was yeah. the largest probably existing media company of its kind in the world like, that existed. Yeah. Um, and... It was perfectly vulnerable to this. Whereas, you know, I, I think the as scary as all this is, like if you're, you know, a multi-billion-dollar media yeah. company, yeah. you're you're less vulnerable because even though you don't want to pay these legal fees, you will keep paying it's them. It's less of a deal, and, and somebody's less likely to mess with you because they know you've got the resources for it. it so. Exactly. Yeah. And we were unfortunately in a position where we were, you know, I feel like Gawker Media was like a bastion of truth and that's what I'm saying that for good or for good or bad. You know, sometimes right. uh, was, but I think mostly for good, a bastion of truth telling, but also in a position where. They weren't owned by anyone else. There right. weren't like there wasn't VC. But, it was just a, its own company. And, yeah. But the the bigger picture, I think, fear that's come out of this particular deal is that smaller, sort of uh, less commercially held media companies are all in danger of one rich guy trying to sort of run them down by by legal fees, by erroneous processes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it, we've kind of allowed this now culture of the companies that can, af can afford it or not be hit as much to be the ones that survive. And it goes back to the sort of bad journalism that we that we could be stuck in. It's not bad journalism. It's just like safe journalism. Safe journalism. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess that's a better term. And safe journalism rarely serves anyone. Right. If I get so a call bad. from an automaker that's like, hey, this article was great. I loved it. That's not like a happy call. Yeah, when I get so, it. When, I, when I get a call that's like, uh, you know, sometimes you get a call and it's like, well, you got this wrong. Here's why. Why? And it's like, okay, I feel bad about that. I understand right. your position. Right. We need to correct this. But like, to just say, don't do it. But just to be like, well, you got this so wrong. It's terrible. But we know we got it wrong. And it's like, well, explain to me how we got it wrong. It's like, well, it's bad for us. And it's like, right. well, that doesn't mean that it's wrong. Yeah. Right. It just means that it's bad for you. And I right. understand that if you're a press person and a PR person, like it's your position that you have to complain about this. And I know the best PR people I know in the industry, whether they work for motorsports, they work for automotive, or they work for defense contractors or whatever, will sometimes get in my face and will complain about things right. and like I understand that it is their job to complain about those things yes. and they understand that it's my job to print those things right. and at the end of the day they they say their piece and I listen to them 
and I hear them out, and I say, I respectfully disagree, and we move on, and we have relationships, and yeah, we can right. continue to go forward. It's in everybody's best interest to keep a relationship. Exactly, yeah. and there are some people who just don't understand that and either internalize as individuals that whatever bad is said about the company is bad about them, right. and they can't move on, and those right. people usually don't last very long, um, or they work for companies that are don't understand the you know cost of doing business that sometimes journalists write true things that are bad about right. them, um, and, and those companies have a hard time, and Probably the best example. This is Tesla's. I, I, you know, Tesla is an amazing company, and what they produce is like I love driving a Model S, and what they produce yeah. is amazing. Uh, and they sometimes have a hard time accepting negative coverage of themselves. Sure. And the number of PR people that have like gone through Tesla, amazing people who are great, and I've had relationships with after they <laughs> they worked at Tesla. Um, they just have a hard time because they work for someone, and and you know I've I've conversed very minimally with with Elon, but like we've had some short interesting conversations yeah. um and like you know he's a true believer and like he thinks that like media should help him with what he does and most of the time he gets away with that yeah right uh and it's hard for them when they get any kind of critical coverage we actually kind of funny to hear you have the same you have like the real versions of this but we had two situa situations last year where on this podcast where we got an inside thing that we kind of asked about and it was declined. It was denied on air. And then after the fact, the person would tell us, "Oh yeah, that thing you asked. That's exactly right." And one of them was like a really big. Yeah, like something that could. Like, like it would be a great Jalopnik article, and yeah. it would really. It, it would, would kill our careers. It would. Yeah, I'd never be allowed to race in certain series again. Yeah. And uh, but it was one of those things where we were like, uh, "This is just Can't a do podcast. It. Yeah, Can't <laughs> like, do it. we're just doing this for fun." But it's actually your job. Like, mm -hmm. you, you're like, "Oh, I need that yeah. story. I need to know what that was." You know, and we we had this weird. We had another situation where somebody was a little inappropriate, and we were like, well, we need to clean this up now. For them. For their sake. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because we d we're not here to try to disparage someone's career. Well, but that's um, – <laughs> Well, that actually happens. I, I had – we had an interview, a live interview, but it was thankfully only on, ta on like, you know, internet answer questions. You've yeah, right. done this before with us. Sorry, yeah, I yeah, ask yeah. me anything. And there was a race car driver who, like, still on the record, in the universe of on the record – showed us some things and told us some things that were like highly terribly inappropriate. Yeah. And this kid, because he like existed in a universe of like friendly slap your back automotive media right. did not occur to him that what he had said was awful and Please would like disqualify him <laughs> for like writing for like, like, like driving for like a huge chunk of his life. Right. And we had like a discussion and it was like a judgment call and no one cared. Like, this person's like a race car driver, but no one really – it's not a big name. No one cares. It's right. like Helio Castro. It's like, no one cares. Was it Connor Daly? <laughs> it was not. I wish. <laughs> is, it, is this the Jeremy Clements thing? No, this wasn't Jeremy. We can talk about the Jeremy Clements okay, thing. Okay, yeah, yeah. We'll come back We'll to get that. to the Jeremy yeah, Clements yeah. thing. This was somebody who, like, wasn't even as big a name as Jeremy Clements sure. in the oh, United wow. States. Because it's sports car racing. No offense. But, oh, like, no yeah. one cared. Yeah, yeah, oh, it. yeah. Now we got to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll bleep it. Yeah, or not. And so like. No offense. The minimal, well, you know what it is. I don't give a um, We know. You're not an IndyCar driver. It could be worse. Yeah. Um, and so we were like, uh, yeah, the story is like a like a 13 second anyone cares about. Yeah. This person was just being young and dumb, and their offense wasn't even really offense. It was just them oversharing, okay. really. Sure. Something that they, like a Tinder thing that they should not have overshared okay. about uh, Tinder. Okay. And so we just like let it slide. It was not it was not worth the trouble to them. And our readers did not care who this person was. Yeah, so like the right. ultimate judgment call is would our readers benefit 
from knowing this. Yeah, Like, exactly. if somebody well, had admitted to, like, sexual assault, like, that is a story. Yeah, yeah. right, right. If right. someone had admitted to just being a dumbass on Tinder, yeah, 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 like, yeah. Well, well, no one cares. Here's our challenge, and I wonder if it's the same for you, because we... Our I, challenge. I, 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 <laughs> with dinner with racers. <laughs> here's my struggle. I read a book. Yeah, Mein Kampf. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I think about one specific incident last year where, where there were... Uh, you can't give it away. No, I can't. Yeah. Uh, but there was a, a lot of alcohol. And a lot of things were said where we're like, we can't let this person burn themselves with what they're saying. We just right. can't. But it was partially about protecting a friend. But it was also, you know, this is our first season out the gate. And if we put out stuff that's very career damaging for them, it's going to fuck up our chances to get additional guests. Right. And, and that was ultimately like, you know what? This is our first season. We need to be able to be the nice fun little podcast that people like being on to not something that where somebody's afraid they're going to say something that's career gotcha and that's that yeah <laughs> so the uh, the gotcha motorsports podcast yeah, i don't exactly. think was where we wanted to go right. but do you find yourself stuck in that at all that you don't want to burn a bridge because you might need that bridge later on mm. <laughs> <laughs> no i will i have burned many bridges <laughs> pizza's good though not here's, even a hesitation. It, here's my no life hesitation. like I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus. Right. But if somebody who should know better walks in front of the bus, <laughs> it's not my that. job to pull yeah. them out of the way. Right. I would also yeah, argue yeah. you're in a bitter, bigger world, too, though. Uh, like the, motor, the automotive world is a much bigger palette than motorsports. It was actually kind of where I wanted to go with this was that, okay, we talked about cars, but, you know, the motorsport world is a very specific world within that. And no one's going to Jalopnik for the, the latest practice results in stock cars. No one's going to Jalopnik to figure out you know, who's leading in F1 right now. That That's not your place. So where, where have you kind of defined motorsports within Jalopnik and where have you defined it within kind of the motorsports audience? Sure. I mean, we don't want to be racer. We don't want to be motorsports.com. Right. Um, for two reasons. Those are One, the only two automotive racing websites that I can think of. Yeah, <laughs> so good right? job. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and for two reasons. One is that they do what they do very well. Right. And there would be no reason to compete with them. Sure. Yep. And the second thing is that we would like people to read what we write because yeah, there's that. an economic incentive to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And the number of people, I don't want to dox this person, but a, a, a very good motorsports reporter said, I think the most accurate thing about covering motorsports I'll, I'll ever hear in my life, which is that, and I, I keep ragging on IndyCar. I like IndyCar, but like... The, no, no, rag on Yeah, yeah they basically, I mean, <laughs> this person basically said, Indy, IndyCar fans are the greatest all 12 of them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I I think that for us, when we launched Black Flag, which is our like motorsports site, yeah. we're basically like, if we can't make motorsports relevant to people who do not like automatically wake up at 4 a.m. at Sunday morning to watch right. the Malaysian Grand Prix, yeah. then we failed. Like that's right. our only job is to right. make people who do not care about motorsports because we personally love it, right. care about motorsports. Yeah. That is our mission. Right. Anything else we can leave to Auto Week or, or Racer or Motorsports. And sure. they'll do a great job of it for what they're supposed to do. And they will deliver for their audience what they want to deliver. Right. But, like, I mean, a good example is, like, that weird, crazy Nissan, you know, LMP1 car yeah. that they built. Yeah. yeah. We had a reporter in Austin who just happened to live in Austin. We talked about this. Yeah, we, we talked about this, yeah. And she just knew which – she was just, like, hanging out. And she, like, saw the car – and and she like knew which corner like outside the track to hang out on and got photos of the car yeah, and right. like and other motorsports reporters might like stop or might think like is this like what we're supposed to report or like we oh, well they, get invited they don't want to wanna burn their deal with Nissan or whatever right, right. whatever yeah, it yeah, is yeah, yeah. but we were like I mean here's the damn car like let's yeah. just post photos of it and um you know and it was fine and like art like it's we're not gonna die if we get pulled back like we the FIA and Formula One Motor like management like like 
repeatedly denies our credentials for things <laughs> because we report awesome. accurately on what they do. Yeah. yeah. And we sometimes use GIFs. <laughs> and they think, and they think a GIF is like a video. You're not real. Right, and right, so, right. Um, jokes. and so th- we're like, and it's you know we don't want. And they're like, well, if you delete every GIF you've ever posted, <laughs> like we will give you credentials, and it's like not worth it to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll absolutely. just watch it on TV. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if everyone else is playing one game, this is like war games, right? Right. Like the only way to pl- win is not to play. Like right, the right. only way to win in motorsports coverage is not to play the game that every. Like I was on a panel with some automotive like like you know big time automotive like editors or whatever sure and someone bragged about having a reporter at every f1 race and i didn't realize that their outlet covered formula one <laughs> <laughs> like, and, oh, huh. and so like that, that right i mean that basically that says it all. Everything. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, kind of painting a realistic uh, commercial picture of where motorsports fits in the automotive landscape. I sometimes it doesn't. That's what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like, I mean, really, I mean, you guys cover everything. In my head, motorsports doesn't really register that much compared to other stuff. Uh, no, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, um, motorsports is as someone who loves motorsports, like who watched like. WRC stuff yeah. on like speed, speed vision, way back, right, right. like right, I mean, right. like somebody who really cares, right, right. it's vestigial. Yeah, hundred um, percent. It doesn't need to exist. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, if anything, there's pr- amateur racing is almost more interesting to yeah. me as someone who cares about like like automotive. Yeah. Like if I we're, we're a car company like that, like you know people who go to tr- like you know HPDE days, like yeah, I think yeah. that there's more relevance of that. And that's more your audience, yeah. Yeah. Then then anything that is done by professionals like nascar in the united states and formula one globally are the two exceptions right and you know there are regional things like people in finland care about european rally cross and like you know like you have to contend with that like if you post about nascar you actually get numbers sometimes but actually nascar is less and less relevant seems less your audience yeah but I mean, less anyone's audience. Sure. Like it, NASCAR is facing the same repu- like like problem that the Republican Party has, which is that people who care about that are dying. Yeah. Um. Of you know cardiac problems. Right. 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 Eating pizza. <laughs> talk. Yeah, say, yeah. and, and so like you have <laughs> hey. to contend with that. And yeah. like I, you know, I enjoy watching World Challenge, and I enjoy yeah. watching you know IMSA and all of these things. But like, I, I'm a weirdo. Yeah, and right. I'm a weirdo yeah, you're, for liking you're a that. Small yeah. group of people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, I don't buy cars based on that. Like, right, I right. bought a, an old Volvo, and like, I'm a weirdo anyway, so that's weird. <laughs> right. Like, and I bought a Subaru Forester. Like, right. Subaru races in no series that I care about. Yeah. But like, I have a daughter and a wife, and I don't want them to die. And right. I had a certain amount of money to spend, and so that's the decision making that led to me, yeah. someone who is easily influenceable by the motorsports world. Right. You know, I guess Colin McRae, like in a little bit, like, sure. you know, yeah, back in the, like, like influenced me, but, um, like that's where I end up. So like, I, I, I love motorsports, but motorsports needs to find a way to build a brand that is relevant for a world in which robots drive for us. Yeah. And they have yet to do that. So pulling Ryan out of the, uh, out of the equation here, <laughs> drivers, teams, series, who, who think about your audience, who gets it? There's like a, a small world of people. Does that mean I get it? I yeah, think you get you're it. You were in it. Yeah, that was a compliment. Like, no, I was believe like, wait, it or not. Wait, wait. I'm saying because he, I don't want him to feel the pressure. Like, well, no, Ryan, that's not what this is. This. Yeah, but I was like, wait, yeah. do I count? No, no, no. I'm saying you count. <laughs> like, fair. Yeah, yeah, you, you got a goddamn podcast. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. You, you <laughs> goddamn podcast. To our readers, you are the most known 
driver <laughs> in your series. Okay, that's pathetic. Which I is not everything I just well, said. I just changed everything I said. <laughs> I mean, but it's not relative necessarily to your success in the series. Yeah, no, it has it. nothing to do with whether it doesn't have to do with what you drive for because our readers aren't like excited about Acura. Um, success these days in this world has to do explicitly with your ability to break out of it. Yeah. And so, yep, fair enough. Um, yeah, right. Like, like I'll give a good example. So, like, Rain's a great example. Parker Kligerman is yeah. like the unluckiest guy. guy. Yeah. <laughs> like he, he does well. He gets himself onto a Sprint Cup team that like immediately folds, <laughs> and is like never <laughs> able to get himself like a reasonable ride again. Right. right. And will occasionally show up in races and do very well. Yeah. Right. 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 Good. Like he just won an Arca. Like like I'll oh, just yeah. show up. I haven't raced in an Arca. Yeah. What forever. are we doing? Sure. I'll I just show it. up in Arca right. and just like LeBron James playing kindergartners just yeah. like destroys them. <laughs> But he managed to be because he was just randomly introduced by to us by a very smart guy who then worked at NASCAR now works at at um, uh, Anheuser Busch. Um, was just like, hey, this person is like understands how the like the larger world right. and it's not like a like a thirteen year old who has like millions of dollars. Yeah. Like you should meet him. And I met Parker and like we like he's like it's like a like a weirdo like the rest of us and yeah. we like immediately got along. And so like he was able to relate to other audiences and he has. I would love for him to be. I mean, he admits himself. Like, if he had the money and like was backed by like Venezuela or something, like he'd have been enough one. He'd have been Pastor Maldonado. Right. Um, he wasn't the only like like really good outlet for him was NASCAR, and he got a Penske position, which was yeah. pretty good early yeah. on in life, and like was able to like work himself up. And then it like all crumbled underneath him, and he had like economically very bad timing. But he was like a person who knew people and was able to break out, and so yeah. he's like a very nice career as like a normal human being. Um, and like an intelligent person as like a as like a commentator for NASCAR right. and like he can build on that and be very successful because he's like a normal person there so they're like normal people in whatever racing series um, and people who are cool who can break out like CJ is a good example you had yep. CJ on yep. yeah. CJ is like we're talking about CJ Wilson already yeah. CJ yeah. Wilson CJ Wilson is like famous for being like like a like a very t- I, he's not a very typical athlete he's not a very typical person but he's like he's like a, a baseball pitcher of which there are many throughout right, the years right. who are able to make money and have their own lives and do whatever afterwards and maybe they stay in baseball and become pitching coaches and then managers or whatever and coaches but um, or they like go off and open up like a dealer like a car dealership in Sarasota like yeah, this no is their deal. life right. but he has a passion and I would <laughs> argue that CJ's passion for cars is, is honestly probably and I don't know if he, he will say this himself very often and I don't know if they're like secret parts of this podcast like ex- like exponentially greater than his passion for baseball oh oh yeah, absolutely oh, he, he doesn't hide that yeah, yeah, yeah I mean no, he doesn't very happy to talk he, about it he'll like mention it but like I mean I think it's even stronger than what he will yeah maybe no. even admit to himself Agreed. like he is a car person in absolutely. like just a perfect pitcher's body yeah. like a weird straight edge like married <laughs> model like <laughs> CJ's CJ's own What's life is weird here, right? himself <laughs> but he's just like a cool just normal a dude. Dude. dude and so yeah. Where Jalopnik has like found, and readers have like found, um, sort of, it's like almost like kismet. Like I found these relationships, and I think they they sort of advance out of motorsports in the general like realm of like the universe and the, like the Jungian subconscious. It's like with people who are just chill and understand that like 
the world probably doesn't necessarily care about their series, but might be interested in the parts of their series that are interesting. interesting right. Sure. Um, like Rob Holland. Like Rob Holland is a weird dude sure. who's like, a, you know, like it's like a giant black Mr. Clean right. who lives on the Nurburgring and like races cars and raced in British touring car yeah. for some reason. And there's no reason anyone should know who he is, except he like randomly reached out to us in the way that like we randomly met you, Ryan, yeah. or like randomly met other people. And we're just like, oh, these are cool people, and we should hang out, and we should talk to them, and right. we should tell their stories because their stories are interesting. Whereas if you're somebody who comes through, and NASCAR and F1 are both identical in this way, is that they start at like 14, right. and you yeah. start at age 14. And, the, the, and, having, and I've met a million NASCAR drivers, and I've met a decent number of F1 drivers. And basically the year that you become like the real thing, Real the year that you're the <coughs> is the last year you start evolving as a human being. Uh, sure. So if you are 19 and you land like a good you know then like nationwide yeah. or like camping world yep. like job, and like at a good team, like you from that point are still that person. And yeah. You still reference those movies and you still <laughs> yeah, live in that world. And like right. your maturity until you get out of it or you get a little bit older. Like if you're Jeff Gordon and like you get older, like you know. Like you, you eventually grow out of it. Life's you realize what your pace. So yeah, life, yeah. life moves on, but yeah, like yeah. you end up in this weird spot. And there's like a very small number of people who can break out of that and just right. understand their place in society, in the world, and, and can have perspective. Um, and those are the people I think are ultimately successful. And I think those are the people who do well in motorsports because right. they don't, they know maybe no one like they, they don't assume everyone is watching their practice session. Yeah. If you assume people are watching your practice session, you do not have a. Even in F1, even right. in NASCAR, you do not have a fair grasp on the way the Correct. world works. Right. Agreed. I like that. One of my favorite personal moments, which a lot, Nick, with, from my own experience, was uh, we posted a video um, years ago. This was like, this was which the, one? the one where we blew up the track. <laughs> right. Uh, right. And uh, so that was 2013. Okay. And uh, it, uh, uh, I think it was Raphael got word of it, put it up. And... Uh, Half the comments were very like, oh, this is awesome. This was a Magnus video for Daytona years and years ago. And uh, and half the comments just pulled it apart and hated it. And, and, uh, oh, right. Was, oh, yeah. Uh, was, was telling uh, my partner, Jason, like, oh, I don't, should we show this to Sean? Because of all the hate. Right. And Jason looked at it and went, oh, yeah. Yeah, he's going to like Yeah, this. he's going to love this. Like, <laughs> I get excited when I see how much hate some of these things have. Do you, how do you guys respond? Because, like, I feel like the Jalopnik audience is very conducive to just everyone's going to have an awesome, horrible opinion about everything. How do you guys look forward to this stuff? I mean, it's like it's double sided, right? Yeah. yeah. For every, like you said, like half the comments are great, half the comments are terrible. Yeah. Um, and you have to see the benefit of both because most of the positive comments are just like, "You guys are awesome. You're great." Like this is why everyone who writes for, and I don't want to pick on them, but like everyone who writes for Motor Trend lives in a bubble of thinking like everyone cares about their. Chevy Malibu versus Toyota Camry right, presentation right, right, because right, there are right, people right. who will fillate them because they <laughs> want to be like close to this thing that they think is I awesome. Like you said, fillate. Is that our first fillate? That is our first fillate. <laughs> yeah. I want this is a family oriented. You know, I want to be. Yeah, we're a family podcast. Yeah. I want to be classy. About classy. It. How many times did Calvin Fish say? Yeah, he said a lot. Like, uh, like sixty-five. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just you need a podcast that's just every one of those times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And uh, if you if that's all you listen to, like you're gonna have like you're gonna completely misunderstand yeah, your yeah. audience. And at the same time, there are people who will just say terrible, hateful garbage because anonymity plus 
you know, a huge audience because even a, like a, a low-level comment on Jalopnik can theoretically be seen by twenty or thirty thousand people, yeah, which is like a yeah. huge thing. Right. Um, you know, like gives them the power to say whatever, and like you're in this weird world, uh, and you should disregard most of that too. Yeah. And I think the key to surviving is looking at it and understanding what is valuable from both sides. And honestly, the more valuable stuff that I get is probably from the criticism, um, probably from people Real saying, criticism, not to somebody going bullshit. Yeah, yeah, just like you suck. Yeah. You're an Right. You know, typical no Aggies. Oh yeah, yeah, slow news day. Uh. <laughs> like I got a whole list of things that are just like trigger words for me banning people. Um, <laughs> uh, like, but like very rarely have I like taken a positive comment and like please leave positive comments. But like I've been like, oh great, this will positively impact the way that I like yeah, do well, things. Keep doing this. Where I've seen like criticisms where it's like, hey, the way you write about this probably discourages people from. I mean, this got to like this goes back in like the like way back when we were like very like not anti-Tesla but very skeptical in in, in right. some ways good in yeah. some ways bad um, of a lot of new technology bolt relief or whatever. And it's like, hey, you know, I like your coverage, but and there were there were like a couple of people left comments that were like, hey, I like your coverage, but like, you know, these are people who are trying to do things um, and they are not being successful, obviously. But like the effort, I think, is worth like acknowledging like it's it's worth acknowledging that they're they're like doing something that most major auto manufacturers have like like not even really attempted or at least they've made like you know very showy but like in disingenuous attempts at like building electric cars yeah and i remember that when i took over the website like that very much impacted me and i was like you know i think they're right like it's we should still be critical we should not just accept everything that people say but we should also within you know trying to be proportional we should look at like what is the effort they're trying to make versus the like resources that they have right and if they're trying to make a big whether they're a tuner or they're an electric car company or whatever like if they're trying to do something amazing and they don't have a lot of resources like as long as we acknowledge that we should at least try to present what they're trying to do yeah. um and so i took that to heart and like, like one of the things that i'm most proud of of jalopnik now is that while they're still skeptical and they're still they can be biting and cutting at points they they don't give people the benefit of the doubt, but they're willing to talk to someone and allow them to present their point of view to like give a reason. Like Elio is a good example. Elio, I think the people who run this is like the three wheeled like seven thousand dollar car. Yeah, sure. Like I think they genuinely want to build the thing that they want to build, and I think they genuinely think that they can be successful and have a model that they look at that can work. The problem is that their model, in my mind, relies on enough people buying into the dream to make it a reality. That may not be there. That may not be there. Yeah. And so, like, and it's it's not not a pyramid scheme, but it, it like, they have to get enough people to put right. deposits on a thing that they've never driven. Yeah, right, right, right. And I think that it's okay to say, like, well, here's what their vision is, and, like, give them space to say, like, this is what we want to do, but also report, like, well, realistically, this is what it requires for them to do that. And if you're, like, a consumer, it's okay for you to say, like, I maybe I don't feel comfortable putting down a deposit for something that requires – like a ton of people to put down yeah. a deposit on something that doesn't exist yet. Yeah. Right, right. Um, and which doesn't say that Ilio can't be successful in some world, but like you should have all of that information. Whereas before, I think old Jalopnik would have been like, oh, this is bullshit vaporware. You know? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it makes sense. So I got a kind of a list of questions. I know you got to go at a certain time, so I don't want to over. No, 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 no. We got a while. Keep going. Who's the most flame contributor at Jalopnik? The most flame contributor, sadly, is Patrick George. Like, yeah. Yeah. like Patrick did the thing that no other auto journalist I can think of has done, which is that he was driving a car and like Patrick doesn't pretend he's going to raising school, but like he doesn't yeah. pretend to be like the best driver in the world, but it was like his first time on camera and he was trying to talk and drive at the same time. And having done that myself, 
um, like sideways in the snow and like a Mercedes station wagon. Like I can tell you, like it's it's not easy yeah. to do. And I've done it with the McLaren. Like it's, it's like the more like the faster the car, the worse the track. And like Belle Isle with like nothing but concrete. It's like maybe the worst place I could think of to try to do this. Yeah. <laughs> um, got out on the track and like and was with a guy that I know forever. He used to work with me like doing video, and he like you know just didn't pay attention for like a tenth of a second and beefed it yeah and his reactions were bad and like crashed the car and owned up to it yeah and the problem is there are many car magazines i won't name um <laughs> some of them might, might, might he just wrote down auto week and handed us a piece of paper that said auto week. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> rhymes with rotor mend um and uh uh, have like wrote enough, written off cars and not yeah. like act like not honestly reported not on them doing it because they don't want to like give up the idea that they're like all badasses who right. are the like, best drivers right, in the right, world. Right. Um, and he takes shit for that all the time. But like like Patrick used to cover when I I hired Patrick and I and, and like he used to cover murders for the Austin American Statesman. Okay, his wow. beat was covering death. <laughs> right. And people getting like cops. Like he was on the cop beat. Yeah. Which is, you know, probably the hardest job at any newspaper. Yeah. Because you're like going to like funerals of people's houses. Like time. you have to be a real reporter yeah. to like get through that. Yeah. And because um, you have to deal with cops who are like misleading you and families who are like sad and lawyers are like, like you're like going to like body bag crime scenes. Yeah. And then he gets flamed all the time by people who are like, oh, who's this bozo? And they, like, put in a gif of him, like, crossing his arms and, like, right. crashing. <laughs> and it's, like, 99% of those people, if you put them in a car and put a camera on them and told they them to talk, would go into the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, one or two corners earlier, they'd have been in the wall. Right, but, right, right. Um, so like that, that was in the, that was the first like the new Z twenty eight right or something. It was like the new Camaro. It was the brand new Camaro. And like, I, and the backstory to that is that we had been invited up there and we said no because <laughs> there was no news value to going. And General Motors had like basically begged us to like send someone. Yeah. And I was like, Patrick, are you doing? And I didn't want to go. And I was like, Patrick, are you doing anything this weekend or Friday? It was like a Friday or whatever. I was like, are you doing anything? And he was like, No, nah, I can go. So like we like last minute like booked a flight, got him up there. Didn't want to be there. There was no. And we had also we, uh, people had said they didn't want to go because it was just like them unveiling a car, yeah. and we're like, we can cover it like it's the internet. Right. We yeah. can cover it from here. We don't need to go. And they're like, uh, last minute added this driving program where you can drive a car out on a track for like three laps, and like if you have three laps and you have to do video, and I was like, well, the only reason, and this is my fault too. I was like, the only reason we should go is if we can get video of it because we just launched yeah. our video team. So it's like, well, our video department's like, well, and our YouTube channel. I'm like, well, let's get video. So Patrick is like going to a thing he doesn't want to go to. At a thing that they'd like very like last minute organized like oh we'll just throw some cars on the track because it's Belle Isle and we, it's all set up anyways right. um, the weekend before the race or whatever it was and it was like like we'll just go out there with the cars and then he had to get video which he'd never none of us had like really ever done before at that point or very few of us had and so it was like the perfect setup and like because it's Jalopnik we had to write about it because yeah. we had written about other people wrecking press yeah, cars absolutely. so like it would have been hypocritical for us not it's to write about jail it again like yeah you write about it you <laughs> just like you have to do it and so Patrick is like eating the most. <laughs> Of anyone and that's what it means to be a boss like if you're like a good reporter and a good like editor like it just you just have to eat so much who's the most commonly pissed off manufacturer that can't take a joke like who do you hear from the most i mean look i it, it's some so, of them have to have thick skin it, right? de like, it depends eh, chevy if depending on who the uh, like who is the pr person chevy or like who the executive is chevy like it just you know it's hard to say year to year chevy it just depends chevy so much yeah chevy. weird on who it is. <laughs> so we do a pass along question for uh, each guest. And so yesterday we had lunch in Indy with NASCAR Chasm. And oh, my favorite. He's, it was he, like, Sean had never met him. I'm like, it's going to be Love good. That guy. It's going to be yeah, good. Yeah. We're just going to be able to bullshit and it's going to be great. I actually hate 
that guy. <laughs> oh, he, I, he's all pissed off because he gets paid to tweet for NASCAR now. Yeah. That's his that's old all job. He does. That's all he does. That's all he's doing now. He's like, damn it. It's the smartest yeah. thing we've ever done. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He's good. So his question was, <laughs> what have you, what do you want to drive that you haven't got to yet? Oh, I mean, currently there's, as we speak, Patrick, I think, is driving a Ford Focus RS. Oh, nice. Around Austin in the oh. run up to the F1 race. Oh, sure. That's great. And, yeah, yeah. and I, like, my dream car, if I had, like, unlimited funds, like, you give me a billion dollars, the first car I would go out and buy is, like, a 94 to 96, probably 94 because it had the bigger turbo, or, or not bigger turbo, it had the, the, the better suspension, a 94 Ford Escort RS Cosworth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, hands down. Right. Is that the one with the big shelf wing? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And, yeah. and they, made a, they made a more comfortable version of it. Um, later on in the run because the homologation special essentially yeah. homologation special so like they made a, a refined version of it but I would want the most unrefined version of that car and the Ford Focus RS is like I've actually driven I drove the prior version Ford Focus RS in the United States okay. which maybe like 10 people can say they have yeah. who were outside Ford because a dude who worked in Mexico who had a company in Mexico but lived in Chicago bought the car in Mexico because Ford of this is I feel so bad for Mexico. Ford of Mexico <laughs> brought over four cars for yeah. the 100th anniversary of Ford Mexico. Okay. And one of them was purchased by some gringo in Chicago right. who just happened to have a license in, in Mexico because he did so much business there. So he was able to legally buy the car. Yeah. And he drove it to Austin and then flew the car to Chicago. And when he dropped in Austin, he was like, hey, I'm going to get barbecue. I'm a big fan of the site. If you want to come drive the car, you can have it for like half an hour while I eat barbecue. <laughs> so like I, I stole the car for like half an hour right. and I loved that car. So yeah. like I, I want to drive the new RS. Like I, if I had stupid money, I would definitely buy a new, like more so than a Ford GT. Yeah. Like that, like I've driven a Veyron, Vitesse, like convertible. Like I've driven, you know, Lamborghinis, like Balboni, rear wheel drive, like right. all sorts of crazy shit. Yeah. Um, but like the weird little cars, yeah. cause like I'm a car pervert are the things that appeal to me. Right. So definitely yeah. a focus RS. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, next to that, uh, a, a Fiat 130 coupe. Our pass along question. Our next guest is Justin Marks. Justin Marks, uh, won the nationwide Xfinity, whatever series race at yeah. uh, mid Ohio earlier this year. He's a former road racer. He owns the motors, the GoPro, GoPro motorplex, motorplex, go-kart track in Charlotte. Yeah. He's just like a longtime road racer and a good buddy of ours. If you have any question you could ask him, what would it be? Um, I think my question would be like if you're like a 13-year-old in this country and you know that you can probably race, like you know like there's just like an inherent thing and you know you've got the goods, like how do you – like is it worth trying? Like is it worth getting into motorsports knowing that the odds are so stacked against you? And like, cause I, I, I honestly wonder about that. Cause I know people who are great drivers and great people and like people I think should like be sponsored by everyone and like should, right. should have billions of dollars. Um, and a lot of them aren't. Right. And, and it's just the real, like the, the circumstances of fate and timing and everything in motorsports, it's so cruel. Yeah, right. Like, would you actually, like, I wouldn't necessarily tell someone else to be a journalist. Like I would say that, right. you know, be happier. Like there are other <laughs> things, your chances of success are yeah. low and your chances of misery are high. Yeah. Even if you do good work, like I don't know that I would tell someone else to do that. Um, so I'm curious if other people would say, Hey, get into motorsports, knowing the odds are like even almost like even more so than being an actor, like, like are just like, cause you could be on like a national commercial and make money and no one knows who's, knows who you are. Right. But like in motorsports, there's no corollary to that. Yeah. Like there's nothing yeah. that like you can make a lot of money and be happy without being like either wildly successful or like maybe like a local pro kind of coach at yeah. a track where you've got like a kind of sweet setup. Yeah. 
Yeah, but that's a very small window. That that's a possibility. Yeah. That's like exactly. fifteen people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and exactly. even to get there is exactly. a huge spend. Um, average reach for a, a basic Jalopnik article. Motorsports or just any Jalopnik? Any article? Jalopnik article. Well, let's go both. Actually, I'm curious. Here's on <laughs> <the> comparison. <laughs> well, I mean, for better or worse, I'm curious. Yeah, yeah. For for an average Jalopnik article, you know, through social and sideways and like all the crazy places that Jalopnik articles show up, an average Jalopnik article will probably be seen by forty thousand individual people. Huh. Wow. Um, and that's taking out really like <clears throat> the crazy. There, like, there's an article right now that's like running that's on the top of the big board that like there are two thousand people at the second reading one specific Jalopnik article and it has like three hundred thousand uniques or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. And those wow. happen like you know pretty regularly. Yeah. Wow. Taking out those and taking out the because it's like average is like a weird thing. Like sure. average like is skewed. Such so it's like the average Jalopnik post sure. is like seventy thousand or whatever right, it is. Right, right. Um, taking just the median Jalopnik yeah. post. Like yeah. like if you post something on Jalopnik. That's not like, uh, hey, we redesigned the sidebar or whatever right, announcement right. post. Like a real actual post is probably yeah, thirty to 40,000. Yeah. Which well, is huge. Yeah, and motorsports. Motorsports. Uh, yeah, you can get 20 people. I would say half, 15 to 20. Yeah. yeah. Still, Which yeah, still yeah, makes it the biggest. Good. Yeah, that's got to be. Some months it's the biggest motorsports site without right. trying yeah, very. Without, and Steph does great trying. work, but like it's one person versus like yeah. a website of people yeah, yeah, yeah. will sometimes be the cool biggest motorsports site in the world yeah, without yeah. like breaking the bank on staff. I understand why traditional motorsports outlets haven't kind of let this out, but why have you guys never reported on the Johnny O'Connell attempting to murder Dario Franchitti story? Yeah. Did we not? So you get to meet a lot of people, but the one thing I noticed about you in general is that you don't seem really phased by anything. Have you met anybody that starstruck you? Like you were like, oh shit, that's Johnny O'Connell or somebody you know? in motorsports? No, 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 just anybody <laughs> in any because like it does. Uh, just every time I'm around you, your general demeanor doesn't seem to change depending on who's in the room. And I'm always into like I really like watching people and their like quirks and stuff. And I just every time I've been around you, it's the same. Like like hey, what's up? You know, just like nothing seems to get you up the, or down. The, so I'm curious. The only time uh, I've been really thrown off, this is embarrassing, because like most people, I don't know, everyone, if you accept that everyone sucks, like you're just much happier in life. <laughs> everyone's terrible. And if like everyone's terrible, then it's like no pressure. Like you yeah. can just meet people where they yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm terrible. Like I don't, I'm not a great, Come kart, we're having a karting race this weekend. Like people find I'm a terrible driver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, like I'm not even the best writer. Like you know, I'm not even the best journalist. Like I suck at a lot of things, and like other people suck too. And if that's the case, then you can just be yourself. So it's right. like low key. Um, but I was at the old Gawker offices, and like I have a weird quirk. Like I'm a huge Houston Texans fan, which is already sad in and of itself because I'm from Texas. And yeah, I'm yeah. from Houston. And, um, I'm a big. I like I like defense more than I like offense. Okay. Like I love like um, uh, a really well read defense. Like okay. I think in football given the, the especially now where like you have these like various like crazy offenses and like you're not seeing a lot of wildcat in the NFL but you're like seeing interesting plays yeah. like so like I'm sitting at my desk and I look over and there is the at, like a defensive lineman who used to be now for the Eagles but like it used to be for the Houston Texans named Connor Barwin okay and no one knows who Connor Barwin is no clue but I love good defense he played on the same with JJ Watt when JJ okay. Watt really came up and like JJ yeah. Watt became famous like reasonably because JJ Watt is like an amazing player like yeah. the, obviously the best defense maybe one of the best defensive players in the history of the NFL but like Connor Barwin it's like also for like a defensive lineman was like also excellent yeah. that was just yeah. an amazing like front line um, defensive line and like he just happened to be there 
And like I just it was so unexpected. It was like if a Martian just showed up <laughs> in your race car at one point. <laughs> right. And I look over and like honestly the Deadspin guys admitted to me they didn't really know who he was. They cover sports and he yeah, just showed yeah. up they vaguely aware. Yeah. And I look over at him and I go, Holy Connor Barwin. <laughs> and then he, he's like terrified because right. he looks over and he's like, because no one's like on the street, like, holy shit, Connor Barwin. Yeah. Right. And he looks at me and he's like, uh, I don't <laughs> know right. what to do. And it's like two handlers look at me like, who is this weirdo? Right. Get him out of here. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, I have to explain myself. So I go in this long conversation, but like my, I'm like rambling. It's getting worse. And I'm like, yeah. I have, I'm like, I am the only person in America with the Connor Barwin jersey. <laughs> and then I'm like, I'll get a picture of it for you. So right. I text my wife to get a picture of it and she takes it out and puts it on the bed and the cat gets on it and then so she sends <laughs> oh, me a picture yes. and then I show him the picture and there's like a cat on his Connor Barwin yeah. jersey and he's like why do you have a cat on the jersey yeah. and then he's like freaked out and I realized he's kind of weirded out and so I'm like I just have to walk away and I'm like well I gotta get back to work great seeing you whatever and I like walk back to my desk and I'm like I'm writing and I'm like I have scared this person right. he was like in her office just doing a Q&A <laughs> And then at the end, he, like and, – and, like, the backstory is he was in Houston, and he was, like, a great player, but he was also, like, a great – we were – we both listened to indie music, and we were we, knew, we had some, like, mutual, like, sort of acquaintances right. and friends. And you so have like, a toothbrush at his. Yeah, I got a toothbrush <laughs> at his place. But, like, we were in the same circles a little bit, and we, we went to a lot of the same shows, and, like, he was just there. And, like, he was – he's, like, a very nice guy, and, like, he wrote – he had to write, like, a letter, like, he published in the Houston Press that was, like, hey, I miss you. I love you guys, but, like, I got to leave. Like, here's the thing. Oh, that's cool. Because people in the, like, especially in the indie music like, community that I was, like, very briefly, like a part of I like sort of embraced him and like it was right. a very nice thing so like but at the end of the day before he left he like walked over and had like signed like a card and he like signed it and he like handed it to me and I thought oh this is nice like the weirdness and the awkwardness is over it's over right. we're good here like he oh, gets no. it and then he like looks at me and just to clarify so I did not like chase him or like try to get his phone number or something he was like they pointing to his people our people said I should give this to you and then, like, oh. he gives it to me and leaves. And I was like, oh, he oh. thinks I'm a weirdo, <laughs> like, obsessive fan. And I'm uh, just dead. I was told to do this. And I saw Kevin Spacey in the elevator at Bloomberg. I was, like, doing a TV hit. Yeah. I'm um, talking about, like, whatever, GM or Tesla or something. And, like, my reaction to meeting fam fam people who I think are actually famous, who are, like, total weirdos, is, like, holy shit, you're. And I go, and yeah. he was like, coming out of the elevator. And I go, holy shit, you're Kevin Spacey. <laughs> and he goes, Yes. <laughs> and then he looked at me, and I didn't have a follow-up, and I was just like, oh, you're in House of Cards. You're great. And he goes, thank you. And he just walks away. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and I got in the elevator and just, like, hated myself for a week. What are the hours like here? Crazy. Yeah. I mean, I work like a like a, I get in a little early, leave a little early. Like, so my, my hours are much closer to a 9 to 5. Sure. Um, but a lot of people are, like, 10 to 8 or work at home. Like, right, you know, it's right. we try to keep – relatively normal hours but it's still the internet so 10 ish hour day yeah t like yeah i mean but the thing is people work all the time right I when you work on the internet out more yeah, so you, the hours, yeah when you work on the internet you always work so there right. like i've definitely been in situations and there are definitely people who have situations where like why there's no one from jalopnik except for Kristen here right now is that like um we had somebody patrick was out so it's like balaban is like running the site and then there's like news yeah. and like the idea of getting in a train for an hour and like commuting into work, like you lose an hour of like very serious news yeah, coverage. Yeah, so you just right. go screw it. But the what ends up happening is like you get up at like eight and then you don't take a lunch break and you, it's like six o'clock at night and you're like, I've been working all day. Yeah. Right. And now that I don't do that anymore, now that I'm like, we've never talked about what my actual job is, which is like my executive editor for the entire company. Right. Okay. And I work on, you know, podcasting and video and all of this stuff. 
and uh, and like, that's for all of for Gizmodo? all of the websites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all okay. of Gizmodo it's Media. Not just Jalopnik. No, no. My okay. job is yeah. My job is to take what we did at Jalopnik, which is like embrace other platforms and like like expand what we do beyond right. just the like the written video or the written internet web page that you read to video and all sorts of strategic partnerships and all that and apply that and help all the other websites do that. And that's like my job now. So I'm not in the like day-to-day grind of what's happening. Yeah. And every now and then I'll like go back. I'm still like an editorial employee and I still write stuff every now and then. It's like to go back and help the website. It's like, oh, hey, we're shorthanded today. Can you come in and blog? And it's like, no, I can't. Man, like I haven't been doing this for like the last couple of months and like trying to get back into the metabolism of like right. what it runs yeah, right. It's like insane. Like the amount of work is nuts. Like I, there was a person who worked for a very prominent car magazine who came to work for the website and quit after three days because it was too much work. <laughs> Right. It was oh, too hard, right? And they just couldn't believe that we like actually worked this hard. Yeah. Um, and it's like that for like if you want to be successful, like the part of our advantage is that other people go to bed and other people don't work weekends and other people don't won't get up at three o'clock in the morning, uh, and and like blog out a story if there's a big story and like to us it's unconscionable to not do yeah. that because right. it's not 1986. People don't wake up in the morning and read the newspaper, so you just <laughs> need to get it in before deadline. Like if it's news and it's happening now. It is our duty, and our audience expects you know to, to get that information. Right. Um, and so that's cool. where we are now. If there's one thing we know about this podcast, it's that uh, Scott Atherton at IMSA, Mark Miles at IndyCar, Brian France at NASCAR, Chip Pankow at TRC. <laughs> they're all they're all huge fans of our podcast. Right. They all listen very closely. So sure. So as the guy who's actually able to reach the audience that somehow motorsports can't reach, uh, what there's no one there's no magic wand there's no one thing but what what can we do to, to to engage better there is a magic wand brian if you're listening scott i met scott a few times very nice guy um he's like everyone's he's like a vice principal high school vice principal yeah. like everyone's favorite high school vice Excellent principal politician um <laughs> like you know uh if there's one thing you can do and brian's a good exemplar of this um and other people are as well is just like let your drivers be human beings man oh oh weird <laughs> like you we have a sure have... you're talking to scott about this <laughs> <laughs> we have an off-air story for you yeah um, yeah i mean it's it's nonsense that like the most interesting nascar like the only time like, nascar drivers are interesting is if they screw up yeah right. and the only yeah. time they screw up is when they are like human beings right and like i've had the pleasure of uh listening to smoke himself, like go off. Like I listen, I like I like. I have to be careful because there are things that are like obviously off the record. But yeah. like, I've had the 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 pleasure of listening to Tony Stewart talk to like NASCAR comms people, yeah. like off the record and like talk about like and be like a human being. Right. And like NASCAR, even to this day, still like has a problem with dealing with Tony Stewart and like who right. he is. Right. But like for all of even the like, he's such a fan favorite for being exactly that. Yeah. 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 And yeah. it's not like he's like, oh, I'm politically incorrect and like whatever. There are like things I I don't think Tony Stewart and I agree on most things sure, sure. but like he is a human being yeah, and he yeah. acts as himself and they cannot deal with that whereas you have a bunch of like cardboard cookie cutter drivers yeah, yeah, yeah. who yeah. are just safe enough and like and they don't let them be like let's be honest like menard like the menard family are crazy like they <laughs> they're like an anti-union like they are crazy people okay. yeah and like honestly i would actually rather be okay with them just being crazy and, and having their crazy stuff, beliefs yeah. and hearing all of it yeah. and then making judgments then like oh we're friendly and this and this, you know like blah 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 right. like come we drive our car and we had a good week and our crew chief and thank god for tide racing and all this yeah. shit. and it's like no 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 just let let them be human beings like 
old school Kale Yarbrough. Yeah. Like I want to see people get in fights. Yeah. Like, but they're not going to do it. Yeah. Right. Like, like they're not. Like the thing that gets the money are big corporations and targets, although maybe not Target anymore, yeah, not but anymore. like um, big corporations and like they get funded and they like to even beg for money, like they have to provide a certain level of safety. And to let human beings be human beings is antithetical to that. And so they're right. never going to do it. But at the same time, it's what's eroding their fan base. Yeah. Right. And so eventually they're going to be left with this shell of what they were. And just the littlest tap is going to – it's all going to collapse. Yeah, and they're yeah. going to have to rebuild. And I'm going to be rooting for that collapse. Well, what's <laughs> – <laughs> and on that note, uh, what, what's made Jalopnik succeed has been that you found your own voice and your own place in this marketplace and not doing what everybody else was doing. And I think that could easily apply to personalities in racing, teams in racing, yeah. branding in racing. We need to go. We do. Well, you do. Because Matt has got to go. go. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I would say pizzas, pizzas on Continental. Pizzas on Continental. Yeah. All right. Meow, 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 meow. I'm finished. Wow, that was such a great episode. That guest really knew how to tell a story. Did you like that, Matt Hardigree? Ryan? Who's sitting here next to me? You're welcome, Sean. I'm right here. Very good. All right. Thank you to uh, Matt Hardigree, who once again gave us the time. Actually, in uh, all credit to Matt, we were running so behind trying to get from Pennsylvania to New York. He actually skipped uh, his first train to get home and took the next one because he wanted to spend time with us. And uh, as sort of a new father, everybody would know uh, time at home is very valuable. And, and so we really, really appreciate him sort of setting time aside and making it work for us. So... All credit to him. Be sure to check out jalopnik.com. I don't know why you wouldn't be already. But uh, anyway, in honor of fairly new father, Matt Hardigree, uh, we're going to go back to a band that I'm a big fan of called Earthworm Ensemble. And uh, you can find them on iTunes. Here's an awesome song of theirs called The Traveling Train. Enjoy. If you're looking real close, you can see the engineer.
coffee shop, town hall, town square, local barber, drugstore, parking lot, high school, playground, neighborhood, Elk Lodge, cemetery, golf course, ball field, bus stop, fitness center, bowling alley, movie house. End of the line.